Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,333. Never step another man's dignity. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from New York City, David Rose. Hey, David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Well, just a minute. I have to get my gloves. Okay, absolutely. I'll wait for you, buddy. Uh, I promise to keep it between the guardrails today as well. David Rose has spent his career in the fashion industry, successful as a designer, a merchandiser, and company principal. All else that followed with his passion for cars and racing began in a Cinerama Theater in Boston in 1988, when the viewing of the film Grand Prix hit his eyeballs. Formula One racing became a prime focus for his future aspirations. David loves British sports cars and purchased an MGA when he was quite young, but the East Coast winners were a little harsh for that little car, so he switched to 89 Mustang. David is a longtime vintage racer, having run many cars, including Formula cars with SCCA, first in Formula Ford, then Formula Atlantic, Formula 5000, LeGrand, you are one brave fella, and Graham Hill's Formula One Shadow DN1-3A. There's another spectacular car. He is also a writer who has written for magazines, including Rewind and many others. So David, I told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before I jump into the questions and share a little more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles and racing? Well, yeah, I've always had a fascination with cars. I learned a little bit about British sports cars when uh, my best friend drove up to my bedroom window one Saturday morning real early in a borrowed Austin Healey Bug Eye Sprite and traveled a whole day up into Boston, up into Vermont, New Hampshire, down through Cape Cod. By the end of the day, I became a bona fide automobile, sports car enthusiast. Uh, No doubt. You know, it's funny. uh, This week, you're the second person on Cars Yeah here who it all started with a bug eye Sprite. So that's pretty funny. Uh, Those cars, beautiful, lovely little cars, actually. And it's certainly a gateway drug to all things British in sports cars. So I think that's cool. For me, it started with my dad in his 1949 MGTC when I was but five years old. So uh, I share your affection for old British cars. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on Cars. Yeah. So David, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. Oh, well, as far as a success quote, boy, that's a hard one. Um, I can tell you that um, a few people, older people who had been around in the fashion industry tell me certain things about David, you know, don't forget, you meet the same people on the way down as you saw on the way up, which was a quote that, you know, really stuck in my mind. I said, well, why would he say such a thing? It was an elderly man who said that. And I guess I was feeling pretty cocky and pretty full of myself with the success I had already uh, gained in my early 20s. Another man said uh, at a different time, never step another man's dignity. And those two quotes have always stayed in my mind. And as a result, I have led a life, uh, both in business and in personal life, where I I show respect and honesty and civility 
and the return has been magnificent. So I think that if anything is important in life is the old adage, you know, treat people the way you'd like them to treat you. And it really works. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great quotes. And they're definitely things to remember as you move up. It reminds me of that line in the original Star Wars uh, where Han Solo said, don't get cocky, kid. And, uh, you know, when he shot down his first uh, Death Star, or whatever it is that guy was shooting at on that movie. But uh, yeah, definitely treat people with respect no matter what situation you're in, because you may be in their situation someday. And it might not look so good looking back up. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Well, let's go back and talk about a story that instigated that personal passion you have for cars. Now, you talked about that bug eye Sprite as being instrumental in kind of starting things. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you said, you know what? I'm a car guy. Yeah. Wow. I've had a few of those moments. I suppose when I got my MGA and I, I explored all the various roads in Massachusetts, southern Massachusetts, where I grew up. There was something about the, the sound. Maybe my music background had something to do with that, but I had an Abath exhaust system in this MGA, and it sounded like a Ferrari. And I would, even in the middle of winter with snow coming down, I had the top down. Of course, I had um, what the bench warmers they were called and with a hood and a scarf tied around my neck. The MG had a heater, or so they claimed. There was no heat coming through, <laughs> but the yeah. side curtains were up. And I would blast around Cape Cod, go into Plymouth, and uh, in those days, the Mayflower was there. I remember driving through there. And then coming home later and just feeling so excited and so thrilled at the experience that I had. And I guess it was at that very moment that I said, yeah, totally and completely a car guy. This is it for me. Yeah. There's nothing like those old British cars. I mean, they just have such a kindred spirit and yeah they're not that fast and a lot of things don't work so well and uh, of course they piddle a little oil here and there just to let you know they still have a little oil in them i think that's the reason i always say they like to lift their rear tire and kind of spray here and there and mark their territory but uh you know it's part of the endearing nature and mgas are such lovely little cars uh was yours happen to be a twin cam or was it the the base model it was an earlier one. It was a 1500 and uh, 1958, I think it was. And uh, yeah, it, it was just a great car. Yeah. Well, 58. I like that year. That's the year I was born. So oh. that might be why I have an affinity to that year. But uh, that was pretty cool. I think I told you in our pre-show chat, my dad had a 49 MGTC when I was but five years old. And uh, I still remember the smell of that car, looking up at that big radiator grill and sitting in the left side because it was right-hand drive and pretending like I was driving the car. So, uh, yeah, I love MGs. They bring back some great memories. Well, I want to talk about some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a failure that you faced along the way. Could be in your career, could be in your life, could be in your racing. Doesn't really matter, but take us there and then tell us what you learned from that situation that helped you move forward in a positive way. The fashion industry was very good to me. I had, it was not my initial choice of a career. Uh, my dad was a musician, a trumpet player, and I remember asking him, really hounding him to teach me to play. And finally, when I was five years old, he said, yeah, okay, I'll teach you to read. You're too small to play the trumpet. So I could read music before I could read Dick and Jane uh, stories. When I was seven, he taught me how to play. And by the time I was nine, I was playing in a concert band with my dad. So I mean, all through school, um, it was music. My whole focus was on music. Um, yes, I love cars and so forth, but my 
future was going to be in music. I went to Berkeley College of Music for a while, and my other students, and uh, a few of my other students uh, formed a band with me, and uh, we did really well. We played all through Cape Cod in the summertime, and in the winter we played up in New Hampshire at a ski area. One day, the drummer and the lead singer got into a fight, and the band broke up, and I recognized right then and there that, well, life is going to be uh, a bit different than I thought. I don't want this to happen again. And what do I do? I, I, well, I love cars, but I had no idea what to do in a business for cars. So I w decided that since I love clothing and fashion, uh, that's the choice I made. I think it was a good choice because the success I had in fashion provided me the means to do what I wanted to do with cars. And it all worked out perfectly well. Absolutely. Well, fashion, you know, that's not the easiest of industries either. No. Talk about a fickle industry and ups and downs. And we, we think about brands. There's very few brands really in fashion that I can think of, and we all know them, that have lasted the length of time. You think of the greats like Ralph Lauren or Levi's or even Nike, companies that have been around, but there's a lot of them that don't make it. If we talk just for a second about the fashion industry, was there, if you could pick out one biggest challenge with the fashion industry, what would it be? Well, the biggest challenge is to earn the business with uh, your consumer, to earn their trust. And uh, you mentioned Levi Strauss. And actually, I worked for Levi's for about five years in the 70s. And I learned more in those five years than I could ever have learned at any university uh, or anywhere else. The, the lessons I learned had to do with uh, integrity, quality, providing the customer with something that they could trust and, and, and earn, the, earn the business. And everything, every endeavor I ever had in the industry, I reflected back on my experiences with Levi's. Well, you talk about Levi. I mean, that's a company that, I mean, when did that company start? It was it before the 1900s or, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah um, it was 18-something? Um, yeah, 18, well, during the gold rush. Um, the idea was that um, this guy named Levi Strauss came from France uh, with these rolls of fabric, thinking that he was going to make tents for the people who were the Well, they're at the camps, weren't they? The mines and things? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so he had all this fabric, and the, and the miners were saying, well, we don't need tents. We've got tents. What we need is trousers that won't, the pockets won't, you know, break away when yeah. we put the ore in the pockets. And yeah. so he came up with this concept, this Serge Denim, um, hence the name, you know, Denim. Denim. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, people started buying those pants by Levi's. And so Levi's became the tag name. So that was like, I don't know, 1849 or something like that. Yeah, 1850s, I would guess, because um, that's when the gold rush was happening and that's when all that was going. Yeah, I remember reading this story, but. Uh, yeah, earning, you know, it, it relates to the car industry too, earning trust in the consumer. And you think about great car brands and car brands that were great and then they ebbed and flowed. I think of the Malays period perhaps for uh, Chrysler Plymouth, the K cars when they were just horrible. I mean, just horrible <laughs> yes. cars. You know, it's like, uh, air. what what yeah. happened to this? Or even Cadillac, who was at the pinnacle and then kind of declined. And then now they come back, reinvented themselves as a sporty car for the younger driver, um, yeah, is earning that respect and then keeping that respect is the key. That is very, very hard to do. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. 
And we've already, again, touched on this with the MJA, but is there another first vehicle? Maybe I'll jump ahead to your racing because you've driven some incredible race cars. Is there a first race car that you jumped into and you felt like, okay, now I'm really a racer? Well, I'll tell you what, yes, we can get into that, but I really like to tell you about the car that made it all change. And that was, um, well, before I even do that, I, I mentioned to you earlier about um, before I had a driver's license, I'd go to the next town on my bicycle so I could see all the beautiful brand new MGs and Triumphs and Austin Healy's. And they got to know me pretty well. And I was just this little kid, and uh, but they got a kick out of me. And one day, the salesman, the sales manager came out. He called me into the showroom, which was very rare. And uh, he said, I got to show you this. He said, there on a rotunda, there was a, a white car, unlike anything I had ever seen in my life. It had spectacular lines and it was exotic as can be. And I said, what is that? He said, well, that's a TVR Grand Tour. And I said, really? Where? He said, yeah, it's hand-built in England. And uh, Mark Donahue uh, just raced that one of these down at uh, Sebring. You know, he got me all wound up. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I have to have one of those cars. Someday I'm going to have one of those cars. So that was, I think, 1963. And 10 years later, I bought my TVR Vixen. It was a Vixen 2500M, which was kind of a hybrid. I think they only made 47 of these cars. They took the Vixen body, put it on a 2500M chassis, and it was spectacular. And so I drove that car all over. And I still have the car today, by the way. If I go on a bit, you can cut me off. But I got to tell you, it was um, one morning I was having my coffee on Charles Street in Boston and uh, on the radio, America's song, uh, A Horse With No Name, was playing. It was my favorite song. It was one of those perfect, perfect mornings. And I'm reading the Boston Globe. I want to go on one last drive before winter comes. And um, I see in the Globe the U.S. Grand Prix at Watkins Glen. I said, that's it. I'm going to do it. Uh, so I collected a friend of mine, went off we went, we drove to Watkins Glen, and uh, as we're driving into the village, I saw this great little restaurant. I put that in the back of my mind, yeah, that's where we'll go for dinner. And uh, so I pulled into what I thought was the nicest inn on the main street, and I walked in the door and asked him for a room, and the, the lady behind the counter started laughing. And you know, I was taken aback a little, frankly, and then she looked at me, she says, you're serious. And I said, well, yeah. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not going to find a hotel in 50 miles radius. This is Grand Prix weekend, and we've been sold out for a year. Well, I mean, I was pretty naive and pretty stupid at that time. So I dejectedly uh, was walking away, and the phone rang, and she called me back. And I got back to the counter, and she said, well, you know, that was Mr. Uh I'll say Mr. Jones, and he's been here for the last 10 years, but his wife is ill. They had to cancel. You can have their room. Everything from that point onward was that way. It was like everything was meant to be. And um, went to that restaurant for dinner, thinking we'd have a table. I could see people were leaving. And uh, the lady there said, uh, well, you know, um, we're so the next table we have is at 11 o'clock tonight. And I said, wow. Well, she said, but I've been holding this table for about a half hour. You can have the table now. So we had the, and the wow, table. Wow, you lucked out. Yeah, well, it was on and on like this. The, the table next to us was these guys with a British accent. Turns out they were um, the crew and the mechanics for Team Lotus. 
And for some reason, they took a yeah, they took a liking to me, and they were telling me all the goings on. I was so wound up by that point. Anyway, the weekend was great. We had fantastic seats across from the pits, right at start finish. And my hero, Graham Hill, was in the field, so it made it all that much better. At the end my of the week- gosh, yeah. At the end of the weekend, we were walking by the paddock, and I pointed to his car and he said, I'm going to race cars someday. When I do, I want a car just like that. That was October 7th, 1973. And on October 7th, 1993, I got the bill of sale for that very car. Oh my God. This is an incredible story. I mean, talk about setting goals and dreams. You're the guy. Uh, I'm so glad you went on to share all that. That is absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. You know, and the fact that you planted yourself there at that event and you just kind of stuck with it and everything kind of fell in place is kind of serendipitous to what happened with you in racing later. So uh, absolutely brilliant. I love it. What a wonderful story. How about seller's remorse? Have you ever let a car go that you really wish you had back? You know what? I, I gave up selling cars that I love. And the last car that I sold that I loved was that Mustang you mentioned. It was that beautiful British racing green convertible 289 four speed I had so much fun with that car, and I was really young when I had it. And your youthful memories are kind of like cherished memories. You know, they're the ones that really are significant. So I had a lot of thoughts about why did I sell it? I wish I had it again. But that's really the only one. I, I, I've, I've kept pretty much the cars that, like the Vixen, the, t- the TVR. The, oh, I sold the MGA, but I have another MGA now that I bought about 10 years ago. It's also a 1958 1500. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, you're a wise guy, be- not a wise guy, but a wise man, I should say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've been called uh, worse. <laughs> yeah. For uh, having kept these cars, because I've had a lot of people on my show that have sold cars, and I'm one of them, uh, that wish we'd kept them. So it's always good to hang on to them if you really think they're special, because hard to find those cars again. Well, let's talk about what has you excited and fired up today. Are you still doing some vintage racing? Yeah. I uh, sold the, the Formula One. And that went back to England about, so gosh, about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have a 911 that I race with a historic race group. And actually, I won the championship, the overall championship in 2015. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, well, thanks. It's a good car. It's uh, interesting how you have to learn to drive all over again with a car with windshield and doors. And yep. <laughs> um, it's, but you know, it, it, it it's not, it's actually a lot of fun. I've had so much fun with that car now that I'm accustomed to driving a, an actual car on track. So, yeah, I do that as often as I can. Yeah, that's very, very cool. You know, I, I raced finished cars for about 12 years. The first one I ran was a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior 18. So, wow. uh, nothing as fast as some of the cars you've done, but it was a good starter car for me about learning and being in a real proper race car. Then I jumped into a 1967 Lola T290 sports racer. And you're right. And that car was a right-hand drive car. You know, it had a monocoque, but there was room for another seat because of the regulations. But it took me a while to get used to that, Yeah, that I had this car not only to my left, but I had this wider, (laughs) bigger car, not to mention it was way faster. So it required a lot more skill and careful finesse in driving versus the momentum that the Lotus was. But I love those open-wheel cars. There's just Something special about those. Oh, yeah. The uh, Ralt uh, Formula Atlantic was just amazing. I mean, that car, um, yeah, that was a whole lot of fun. All all the Formula cars are fun, but the ground effects uh, on that car were something special. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, in this point in your life, uh, you're a retired guy, right, from the fashion industry? Well, right? I, or are you still um, working in it? You know what? I don't use that word. Um, I guess you, this, you could call it semi-retired. Um, I'm actually working with a very well-known British artist, Simon Ward. Simon is um, incredible. His, um, he only, he's a motorsports artist, and he's, been, uh, he's got paintings at um, Silverstone uh, in the hospitality suite there. He's got paintings uh, at Sebring. What I'm doing is, uh, in addition to marketing his art, I'm using his art to embroider onto clothing. So, yeah, like we have a, a denim shirt was one of the items. It's um, Peter Collins on one side embroidered and then Sebastian Vettel on the other side embroidered in their Ferraris. And we're getting a lot of uh, attention. And his art obviously is the catalyst. It's working out uh, pretty good. We've got a website, www.circuit by inroads.com and the clothing and his art and various other things are available on that. Well, you're going to have to introduce me to Simon. I would love to have him be a guest on the show. I've interviewed hundreds of artists, hundreds of automotive artists, and I would love to have him on the show. I'll make sure I put a link to circuit by inroads on your website page here and the cars website so that I can visit that. And the listeners can visit that as well. I think that's really cool. And I like the way you said, I don't use that word, quote unquote, retired. Yeah, I think that's the wisest thing anyone can do when they so-called retire. Don't retire. Go do something you really love. Have some fun because sitting around is a kiss of death, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm doing a few other things, too. I'm, I've recently become an agent with F1 Experiences. So we book, uh, they book travel around the world at all the Formula One Grand Prix. And um, I'm now uh, working with them. I, my initial business, my partner, Christine Stortron, and I formed a company uh, called uh, Inroads America. And we book travel to uh, Monaco for the Grand Prix or um, for uh, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, the Goodwood Revival. And so that's evolved into my working with F1 Experiences, which they are incredible. If any of the listeners are interested in an extraordinary experience, one of a kind experience, you know, they can reach me on uh, the website that I gave you uh, or look at um, F1 Experiences, their website. It's it's really quite remarkable. So I'm doing that. And also I formed uh, a group with uh, Whit uh, Smith. It's called the NYC Exotic Car Touring Club. And we, we meet once a month and uh, talk about cars and our driving experiences, but we're also doing driving tours or driving adventures really here in the Northeast. So yeah, I guess... Retirement doesn't apply to me. At no, this not, <laughs> not at all. Doesn't apply in any capacity at all. Well, I'm very excited about all these activities. I would love to talk to, again, uh, the artists you mentioned, also F1 Experiences, those folks, to give them some promotion here, because I know that my listeners would love to know about that. We all want to go to an F1 race and to go with somebody that has experience and can tell you exactly where to sit, where to go, and, and get you there in the fashion and style yep. is the way to go. So very exactly. cool. Well, David, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors that make this all possible. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. 
They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, David, we are back, and I have a very introspective question for you, my friend. If you were a vehicle, if you woke up tomorrow and you were manifested as a car, a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a car, what would David be and why? Yeah, that's pretty easy, actually. I see myself as an Aston Martin DB5. Nice. Yeah, I think the car is still graceful. It's got great looks. It still has performance. And uh, it's a classic. So uh, <laughs> I, I think when you reach a certain point in your life, you're justified uh, in thinking of yourself in that way. And if it was good enough for James Bond, it's certainly good enough for me. <laughs> Very nicely said. I like that. Quite stylish. Quite stylish. All right, David, we are entering the last lap. This is a place you've been many times. The white flag is out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that DBR5 throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive or racing advice you've ever received? Well, uh, the best automotive advice, I guess, would be uh, when a friend of mine said, suggested that I use Mobile One motor oil, synthetic motor oil. And I have to say that I really do believe I've uh, prolonged the life of several engines simply by using that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a simple, cheap insurance when it comes to any car. I always tell people, you know, some of these cars these days, oh, change your oil every 7,000, 10,000, 20,000, some ridiculous number. You know what? Change your oil every three, 4,000 miles. I mean, it's just simple, easy insurance to keep your car, especially if it's getting older. Now, how about a personal habit? Is there one that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Well, um, yeah, I believe in teamwork. It's easy to think, well, the driver's done well. What a great driver. Well, in actual fact, it's the team. You know, someone had to prep the car. 
Someone had to, uh, you know, do the incidentals that are required. And it's nice to be um, have a degree of talent and ability to make the car go as fast as they've prepared the car to go. So, um, yeah, my personal habit is to give credit where credit is due. And I always do that. You know, you watch uh, Formula One racing, for example, and pretty much any racing, and the drivers will always speak in the term of the team. Uh, thanks to the team, we the team, you're right, you can't do it on your own. And even though the drivers are the stars, all those technicians, engineers, designers, mechanics, all the people that help the team get to where it needs to be are so important. And it's the same with any business and any relationship to any family. It's, it's about the team. Now, how about a resource? Is there one in particular you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, well, you know, that's an interesting question because there are a, new, a number of of fine resources um, in this country, in the world, really. Um, my, I think the most significant are some of those great automobile museums, and each city seems to have one now. And the other thing is the Concours d'Elegance venues that are popping up here and there. And we're, we have one scheduled for later this year here in New York City, which is going to be exciting, the New York Concours. It's one thing to look at cars and appreciate them in a coffee table book. I mean, you can really learn a lot. There's all the details and so forth and so on. But nothing compares to standing alongside uh, a vintage car or a classic car or something special, something exotic, when it's right there in front of you. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think particularly young people, it's a great history lesson to uh, go to a museum or go to a concours and, and visit these cars and, and, and share space with them. Absolutely. Really important. The other thing is, what you do and what I did, vintage racing, uh, take a kid to a vintage race because the great thing about vintage racing is you can walk right up to the car. Lots of times, the I, I can't count how many kids I let sit in my race cars, and yeah. I know and I hope I spark some, some spirit in them to do that in the future, just like when you were young and yeah. you set those goals of driving in those cars. Uh, vintage races are so cool because you can see, get up close and personal, see those cars run and get a Get a sense of how brave some of those old guys were, because as a vintage racer, you and I know this, you don't run at 10 tenths or beyond that because it's too darn dangerous, nor do we have the skill sets of those great drivers back in the day. But you can get spirited and have some fun, and there's some great racing that happens with vintage racing. So take a kid to a vintage race, a car show, a museum, a concours, most definitely. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Oh, no doubt about it. Um, Graham Hill. He's one of those remarkable characters in history who stand out. He was uh, a bit of a character. His history was amazing. I had the privilege to have the opportunity to speak with Betty Hill, his widow. And uh, there was a film done uh, in 73 about um, the embassy shadow. And uh, Betty was uh, helping me and did help me find the director. And I got a copy of that film, which was really uh, quite fantastic. But Graham was absolutely, he was an iconic racer. He, with a mustache and the slick back hair and his grand style. I don't know that anyone has been quite like him since. Yeah, well, just the name, Graham yeah. Hill, yes. instills that British sophistication and yeah. dashing gentleman and form, you know, being very formal and so forth. And I mean, you, you look at him and you look at someone uh, uh, maybe in the racing uh, world that was a lot more flamboyant and, and reckless and wild, and Graham just had this presence. Uh, you know, I think of James Hunt and Graham Hill, two complete extreme opposites yeah. of each other, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what made this sport interesting for sure. 
<laughs> now, how about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share that you've read that you think our readers, our our listeners should read, I should say? Yeah, you know, there's so many great books out there, and every week there seems to be another one coming out. But the one that I enjoyed uh, so much, had the good fortune to to meet the author, was by Brooks Too Broad for Leaping, uh, Denise McCluggage. And um, she was so incredible. She had so much to say, uh, not just about racing, but life in general and being a woman and what was considered to be a man's sport, a remarkable human being. Yes. You know, I had the great honor and privilege of having her as a guest on this show before we lost her. And I met her at Pebble Beach. I got invited to sit up in the uh, judges box as the cars rode over the podium. And she was sitting there, and I, I went and sat down next to her. And then guess who sat next to me? Jackie Stewart. Uh, so I'm sitting there between these two icons, like, what do I say to these people? I yeah. mean, it's just, you know, like, how can you be just, hey, having a nice day? You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. But I kept my composure. I didn't get too paparazzi-ish. I did get some pictures. But I did invite them both to be on the show. I've yet to get Jackie to commit, but Denise was very kind, and uh, it did take some time. And when she finally came on the show, she disclosed to me, she goes, you know, Mark, uh, I know that I've been tough to get. You've been a politely persistent man, and I appreciate that, but I haven't been doing very well. And I, and she said, you know, I just don't think I'm going to be around much longer. And it just like a dagger through my heart. And, and that was all she said. She goes, I don't want to dwell on that. Let's have some fun and talk about my history here. Um, I'm so happy that I was able to record her voice and have it out there where people can go back and listen to her and hear her, because a lot of times we don't get to record those icons in our lives and those people that were so uh, significant. But uh, And that book, of course, a great book for anyone to read. So uh, here's to uh, a glass and cheers to Denise McCluggage, the the great lady, the great uh, racer, the great journalist, uh, just, you know, superwoman. So uh, very fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find Denise's show and everything David has shared on the Cars yeah website, just go to CarsYow.com. You can type in David Rose, and his page will pop right up, or you can type Denise McCluggage, and you can listen to her show as well. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, David. This last question, though, can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car, vintage race car, whatever you'd like today, but there are some rules to this game that are going to make it a challenge for you because I know you've got some cars in your garage. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. That little trick is off the table. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed here. No museum pieces. But here's the kicker for you. It's the only one collector car you can have. That means you've got to empty your garage, and this is it. This is the only car you can have in your garage. Now, you can pick a car you still have. I see him wiping his brow. He's starting to sweat because <laughs> we're doing this on Skype. Uh, what can I buy you today, David? Boy, oh, boy. I would have to say, I've already indicated that I have a relationship, only emotional or mental, with an Aston Martin DB5. So find me one of those and I'll be a happy boy. Yeah, I would think so. Um, not sure how you could be unhappy with a DB5, but uh, I kind of guess that might be the direction we're going. Um, you're not a cheap date because those things have gotten quite expensive, yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. Um you know, that's beautiful. I know you're in New York City, and I love the background sounds we're hearing on this show with the cars honking. Very New York. Uh, yeah, I didn't plant those in there. This is the real deal, guys. Uh, he's actually in New York, so we get to hear some of that. But uh, there's plenty of beautiful roads around New York City and the country that uh, you could take that car out and enjoy. So I'll get to work. Do you have a, do you want the traditional uh, silver or British racing green, or is there a different color? 
Yeah, no, British Racing Green will do. I almost, well, I was living in London for a while, and there was one at Paradise Garage. It was totally restored, uh, mechanically, cosmetically, immaculate. That would have been 1978. It was a 1965 car. They wanted 7,000 pounds. <laughs> So you talk about regrets. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I know. I, every once in a while I see these articles or copies of magazine ads out of the back of Newsweek or Motor Trend from the 60s, you know, Ferrari GTO, $3,500. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, if we could only go back in time, we'd know which, uh, lottery numbers to pick, which stocks to buy and which cars to buy, right? So, uh, Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, in this case, money doesn't matter because I'm buying it for you. So I'll get to work and find you a really cool car. Don't hold your breath. It may take me a little while, but uh, I'll see what I can do. David, you've taken me on a wonderful ride today. Really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you blast off into the sunset in that Aston Martin DB5? Uh, I think that for all of us who love cars, just you know, keep them running, take them out. The trailer queens that you mentioned before, that they're magnificent. They're beautiful to look at. But it's, it's um, I think it's cruel because there's a lot of people, young people in particular, who want to share and enjoy what we have all enjoyed over the years. And, um, you know, my cars, you know, they're not magnificent, but they're pretty good. And I enjoy every one of them. I take them around the roads of uh, Pennsylvania primarily. And uh, it's just a joy. You become one with the car and the car reflects a bit of your own personality. And it's you know, it's just a, a wonderful thing that we have in our lives. Let's share it with everybody. Absolutely. And what's the best way, again, for us to follow along with you and all your things, that, all the things you're doing, let's let's uh, list some of those websites of the different companies you're involved with. Well, I think right now, the one that uh, is uh, dominant is the NYC Exotic Car Touring Club. And everything is kind of folded in into that. And uh, the Formula One experiences, they have uh, their own website. And uh, But anyone interested uh, with our conversation, they can uh, go to my website and I'll have information uh, posted on that as well. But, and that's uh, the NYC Exotic Car Touring Club? Yeah, uh, NYC Exotic Cars, Exotic Car Touring Club. Singular. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, I'll put links to those on the show notes page. And David, I hope you'll introduce me to that artist we talked about earlier. I'd love to have him on the show and promote him to my listeners. I know they would love him. I love automotive art. So uh, that's a perfect fit for everybody here. David, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and my listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. 
Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.